Welcome back to Real Estate 2020 Vision, the podcast that brings you the people and the products shaping the future of residential real estate. My name is Guy Westlake and I'm founder of Lavanda, the world's leading flexible rental software for residential apartment buildings. We're an award-winning next generation property management system for multifamily, student accommodation, co-living and serviced apartment assets. This is season two, episode three, and today I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome onto the show Jem Savas, co-founder and CEO of PropTech Scale-Up and European success story, Plentific. In mid-2021, Plentific raised one of the year's biggest investment rounds for a European startup, a $100 million Series C led by Brookfield, Highland Europe, with participation from Mubadala, RxR Digital Ventures, and existing investors AO PropTech and Target Global. Jem, it's our pleasure to have you here. A very warm welcome onto the show. We can't wait to hear more. Hey guys, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Jem, let's start at the very beginning. I'd love to hear in your own words, what does Plentific do and how does it go about doing it? Plentific is what we call an end-to-end operating platform. We look after the entire journey from a tenant uh, in a home to helping property managers, landlords manage these homes better. And with a platform solution like ours to get the works done through fairly flexible supply chain solution. We build fleet management and a marketplace of contractors into our platform. So uh, any type of work order being small repairs, voids, compliance, inspections, all happens through a data-driven single solution, which then helps to have a world-class tenant experience. So you know, an end-to-end operating solution for various enterprise client sectors. And so following on from that, what sectors do you target and serve? I mean, is it resi only or is it both resi and commercial? Yeah, we are mainly in the residential sector. We have commercial clients as well, and it's one focus area going forward to to go more into commercial. But we've been initially focused on residential. We started out in the UK in the housing sector, what is a lot of uh, affordable housing in uh, the UK. We have local uh, council clients, uh, for example, in London, and also have a a good number of PRS clients now uh, across the UK. Branched out into Germany, similarly, uh, PRS and uh, social housing. And in the US, we're now entering the single family, multifamily sector. But it sounds like you're building a really comprehensive solution that serves multiple markets. What exactly is your vision for this business? I mean, where are you taking it and how far do you want to take it? Yeah, I mean, we have pretty big ambitions. And I think our fundraiser sort of underlined uh, where we want to take this. We now have around 700,000 properties uh, that are managed through our platform, uh, where all the work is handled through uh, a single end-to-end experience. And we want to get that to 2 million units in the next few years. Uh, so scale that up and build more and more uh, relevant features uh, for tenants, for property managers, and also for our contractor base. And, you know, we see our platform changing how our clients run their operations. It's quite a data-driven, real-time operative solution. And with a lot of uh, requests coming from clients around retrofitting, around climate change, ESG topics, uh, we're building more and more solutions that can help our clients actually get the works done and measure the works uh, through our single approach. So lots to come still. The aim is, the vision is that large clients just have a single operating platform that's fully connected, so digitalized. and where they can get a lot of access uh, and make the right decisions. It sounds like an absolutely fascinating business with huge, huge potential, but stop there. What was the initial spark, the inspiration that led you to found this business in the first place? And I guess critically, what was your career up to that point? It was definitely not my first career option. Uh, I was uh, I was in Madison Banker uh, dealing in mergers and acquisitions uh, for over a decade in, in New York and in uh, London. My dad was a structural engineer, so I grew up in real estate and in construction, and 
I learned fairly early on how to do things in, in a home. And so I'm quite passionate about uh, real estate in general. But after business school, went into finance, um, learned all the tools there. And after a while, started you know, buying my first place in London, uh, renovating it, um, moved on from there, built another home. And at some point, I had sort of created a small portfolio and I decided good time to do something else in life and moved uh, into property development and became a property developer in London. Um, had a small fund, lots of family and friends investors. And through that experience owning property and trying to manage property, it was pretty apparent to me that it just didn't work. Didn't work digitally. It was quite low margin, painful experience for everyone. And that's how it all kicked off. And I had a very strong, um, very good friend. Uh, Emre was my, my founding partner who was fairly interested in doing something in the tech world. We discussed a few fintech ideas, a few prop tech ideas. And back then, prop tech didn't exist. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, an industry. But I thought the asset class real estate was very big and you know, not disrupted at all yet versus fintech. There was quite a lot happening already. And so we thought, we thought about sort of doing something that we, that we feel quite passionate about. And real estate was definitely up there. So that's how it all kicked off. And when did you launch the business? We technically launched it 2012. This is when I was at the bank still thinking about should I leave or not. So we registered the business. We sort of registered all domain names. And a few years later, we had left the banking world and officially were full time on this. So uh, we actually don't quite remember what year it was, but it was sort of uh, 2014. And then it took us a few years to figure out product market fit and how to position us. We initially started out with more single homes and looking after our own homes. And over the years, actually worked with a number of large corporate partners uh, like Zoopla, EDF Energy, B&Q, and so on. And at some point, we looked at the data and saw that what we built was actually heavily used by landlords and larger landlords instead of smaller landlords. And that's how the pivot really happened. And since then, that's what we do. And um, so the last six years has been the focus on enterprise clients. Super interesting, Jem. I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer that all businesses must pivot regularly. Now, separate topic. You're clearly a man of the world. Whereabouts do you call home? Um, I live in southwest London uh, with my family. Uh, so I'm in London most of my time. Um, but we do have uh, operations in Germany now. We're, we're headquartered in Berlin. We have around 40 people there now. And uh, we just recently launched in the US. And most of our staff is remote, but we have a central place in New York uh, where I go and visit frequently. But yeah, home, home today is London, uh, but it does feel more and more like the three different countries sort of merge, merge in one and um, I spend quite a bit of time on the road now. I'm fascinated to hear your experience of going into the German market particularly. I mean, you're a German speaker, I presume. Yes, I was born in Germany and grew up in Germany. So I did my high school in Germany. So I understand the culture, the language. Uh, I have a strong network in Germany. I went to a, a business school called WHU, which is quite a hub for quite a lot of entrepreneurs and successful entrepreneurs. So there's a good ecosystem of founders in my network. And you know, coming out of the UK, going into continental Europe, Germany was the largest uh, market, but also probably a very difficult market for many prop techs. But so I felt like this is close to heart. This is from a numbers point all makes sense. And that's how the, the jump you know, went over. And, and it is a huge market. It's even a bigger market than the UK. Indeed. And as you say, a notoriously tricky market for non-native German companies to crack. So it's fantastic that you've got so much going for you and teeing you up for success in that market. Before we talk more about the company and go into a bit more detail, 
Let's just talk about Jem, the person for a moment, the person that, you know, your friends and family know, uh, the person behind the, the, the co-founder and CEO of Plentific. How would your friends and family describe you away from work? I don't think they would see me away from work. And that's the biggest complaint. Everybody always sees me working. So always on my phone, emailing, messaging, you know, chatting. But no, I mean, I, I do balance work and family quite well, I think. When there is family time, then I shut off work and, you know, put my attention to my kids and friends and, and do things uh, that's quite disconnected, which I think is very important because especially in real estate, I think everything is a marathon, right? It's not a sprint. So you have to get the mental health going and uh, separate work between family life. But it is pretty full on all the time. And I do sort of take my kids to bed and then go back to U.S. time zone and speak to U.S. Uh, the U.S. team. But they would probably say, you know, loves to hang out with family. I do a lot of social organizations with friends, uh, camping, holidays, trips, like to barbecue. I'm a big sort of fan of hanging together with family style type restaurants and sharing food and having a good time. We have quite a diverse international circle of friends as, you know, my wife is American. I was born in Germany. My background is Turkish, Italian. So quite a diverse uh, group. I'm very direct, very transparent. I usually say what I think and I don't really like wasting time in life so i'm pretty you know straight on you've got such an interesting background you've got so many exciting things going on in your life i can only assume that you're kind of you know a really fun awesome guy who's got great chat that everyone wants to have at their barbecue party so i guess first of all hats off well done that's exactly the person that everyone listening to this podcast probably wants to be uh, including myself but also thank you for, for that kind of candid expose of, of who you are away from work. I just think it's so important to give everyone a taste of the actual humans that sit behind the leaders of these fascinating businesses. Let's turn our attention now, Jem, to, to COVID. And I guess, first of all, a huge congratulations for the massive round that you raised in the middle of a pandemic. You know, $100 million is, is, is a truly epic achievement. So congratulations. I'm fascinated to understand how did the pandemic affect Plentific? Yeah, thank you. It's been mixed, I would say. I think being a real estate uh, operating platform, you know, we deal with um, a marketplace of contractors. We we deal with operations, right? It's not just the SaaS solution which you sell. So it had a lot of ups and downs throughout the pandemic when people decided you can't go into people's homes anymore, you can't do repairs anymore. And so we had a lot of operational challenges to deal with with that. But the positives of that was because we are you know, real-time data-driven, a lot of clients came to us saying, well, I can actually use the platform to do all the regulatory requirements I have much easier than doing it manually because now I can click a button and all of a sudden a thousand contractors are updated right away, you know, what happens, uh, what they need to do. So operationally, I think um, clients weathered through the storm much better because they use a platform like ours. We have you know, become quite flexible around our remote working environments and how we operate globally now. And I think uh, we were quite friendly before as well, but it sort of helped establish that in a, in a faster way. I think real estate, especially enterprise clients, it's a people's business, right? And so while we had more meetings and we had more open minds about digitalization and people really understanding that they need better systems, signing contracts, I find easier when you're face-to-face -face and going meeting people. And, you know, so there was a, a bit of like, we had a lot more clients coming on board and a lot more people saying yes. But then there's also the other side where some bigger clients uh, were saying, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll maybe go a bit slower and when we can meet again, we'll meet again. So, yeah, I think the biggest challenge for me during 
during COVID was how do you deal with such a scale up team? You know, how do you build the culture? How do you build momentum? How do you get, especially our young staff trained properly? So, you know, if they're sitting at home and there's no one to speak with, that's not that easy, right? So there's a lot of challenges that every business probably had, uh, including ours. And when you're hiring, you know, hundred plus people a year, that sort of makes it a bit more difficult again. I can only imagine, which actually brings us nicely to your fundraise last year. Uh, and I can only imagine that was an extremely, you know, interesting exercise in the middle of the pandemic. Do you mind me asking what were the timelines around the fundraise and did you do it yourself or did you use a broker? And then I'd love to talk about how that capital is being deployed into the business now. Obviously, hiring is a major, major feature, but are there other areas where you're looking to expand? We have raised it internally and we've never used a corporate finance house so far because my background is in M&A and raising equity. And so I, I kind of felt like, you know, we, we can do it pretty, pretty easily here. And all the rounds so far were all done internally. That's a feat in itself. Congratulations. That has, uh, thank you. That has uh, pros and cons, of course. You know, there is a, there's a clear need for corporate finance for some people who don't have the experience or the networks. And, and the bigger you become, the more important it is that you run the structure properly, that you don't necessarily phase every investor yourself. It's very time consuming, you know, building the right models, forecasting and so on. So yeah, we, we had a lot of inbound interest and that inbound interest made the, made the process quite short. Um, we had very strong investors in the previous rounds, uh, which brought networks with them as well. And, you know, people have been speaking to us over the last two years about the next round anyways, right? So there's a continuous relationship building exercise going on and you kind of know who you want to bring on and what type of investors you want to bring on. And so you can be quite targeted in your approach and your process. And it was pretty quick, you know, being remote didn't always help because for investors, it's also weird not to meet people that they invest in, right? So I did sort of fly out to New York and San Fran uh, once to just meet, you know, the few that I wanted investing. So I could actually say I met them personally and it was, yeah, it probably took us um, four or five months, if I remember from start to finish. And um, we were significantly oversubscribed and were, you know, happy to be able to choose who we wanted to come on board and have a quite great diverse sort of board now. And the money was raised, uh, as you said, um, to scale the teams um, on all fronts, really. Um, the US was a big part of growing the business going forward. So a good portion of that investment is going into building up the US and growing that. Uh, second, acquisitions. Um, we have done one acquisition. Uh, we want to do a few each year and sort of grow inorganically uh, as well. And so there is uh, funds um, in place to be able to do that. And we have great conversations with software providers that are sort of interesting with other prop techs that have a great solution and want to scale quicker with a larger group now like ours who are like-minded and understand that I mean, we're not a strategic yet, right? We're, we're another prop tech, which is a bit bigger and has more clients and is more global already. So access to clients can go faster with us now. So we are looking at opportunities to just build a platform faster with like-minded prop tech entrepreneurs. And then yeah, further expansion across commercial. Now you've already alluded to it, but let's talk a little bit about recruitment and the challenge that that's been over the last few years. You're hiring a lot of people. How are you going about that? Are you using recruiters? Are you using embedded recruiters? Are you using freelancers? Do you have an in-house talent team? What's it been like to onboard employees, you know, working remotely? How have you made their first experience of the Plentific brand a meaningful one? It must be super challenging doing that at scale over the last few years. 
Yeah, it is. It is absolutely probably the most difficult part getting right. If you ask me, like one of the big learnings I had as an entrepreneur was that I didn't have a people director early on. You know, I sort of thought everyone can hire and will save the money and not bring that person in. And you know, that's definitely a big challenge. Um, it's a um, it's a people sort of a buyer's market right now, right? There's lots of opportunity for people to join great companies. So. You have to be exceptional and you have to be better for people to say, I'm going to join a scale up instead of going to the bigger tech players or crypto players or fintech players. So there's a lot of competition for great talents. And are you experiencing that across the board? So sales, marketing, product, engineering, customer success, and all the various other lines of business? Absolutely. Yeah. There's big competition across all sectors, really, or across, across all teams. And there are peaks and you know, drops of which team is more busy and less busy. Like there was a period where engineers were hard to find. Now we're doing quite well because we have a big engineering team and they bring the networks with them. Now we find marketing and sales a bit more difficult because everyone is you know, raising a lot of money and they all need good salespeople and marketing people. You know, I think the onboarding is so key and also the post-hiring phase, like how do you treat employees after they joined? And I think a lot of startups, because they don't have HR teams, um, they sort of don't think about that in the early days. You think, okay, the important part is finding people, but then what about retention, right? And what about making sure people feel valued? They feel like there is a career path. They know what the next step is. And because everyone will get a call from a recruiter at some point in time, right? You're going you're gonna to make sure that the urge is not there to move on because they have a great uh, culture, a great environment. People know what they're working on and why and the vision and so we made uh, a lot of effort to have regular uh, meetings. Um, we have quite a lot of social events uh, that are fun, not just you know Zoom calls that nobody joins. Um, we treat people hopefully quite personal, and you know I um, I reach out to every new joiner still and say hello. And the onboarding is fairly process driven, so you know we have checklist that we don't forget to send out the laptop in the right time to make sure that the onboarding day one is good, that they get a welcome gift, that you know they have a clear two-week sprint of events happening, that they know what the onboarding feels like. And at the end of that onboarding, someone needs to say, this was great. I got my laptop in time. I understand what the business is about, the culture about, uh, what we want to achieve. And then you just have to make sure that the, the vision you have is shared regularly with uh, existing staff and new joiners and that everything we do is clear to everyone. And then, yeah, I think you can build a great culture and you just have to hire people that fit into that you know, molds of culture and support that going, going forward. Having had to navigate your way through these various challenges, particularly around onboarding your staff, for example, have you come across any solutions that have been genuinely helpful? Can you offer any tips and, and hints to other entrepreneurs who are facing similar challenges now? I mean, we, we have an HR uh, solution in place that tracks uh, the different steps. I think most HR solutions are able to be programmed in the right way. So I think it's more about having an HR team that can actually do this, right? So to you know, your earlier question, we do have, I think, around eight people now in our HR function, and there's four or five in talent acquisition, so in-house recruitment, and um, four, I think, on the HR side, dealing with and managing people afterwards. And so, yeah, there's quite a healthy team here now. How very, very nice for you. I mean, that, those must be the sunlit uplands of a, uh, of a $100 million raise that the rest of us can only be envious of. I know. So. It wasn't always there, that's for sure. What are the big learnings of the last 12, 24 months that have really landed with you? You know, what are the big lessons 
uh, that you'll carry with you kind of for the rest of your professional life? I'm not sure this is last 24 months or just a continuous learning, but, you know, you have to adjust the way you um, manage a company over time. And as a CEO, you're not always the same profile. Like when you're 20 people, it's very different to when you're 100. It's very different when you're 300. And so for me personally, you know, my job is to find the best talent and make them, you know, be successful. That's my job, right? And then I have to now also look at all the external stakeholders we have, uh, our board, our investors, our clients, and make sure that they're um, sorted out and helped out. And the learning, I think, for everyone is the only way you can be successful if you find talent that's super smart and better than you. And then you just have to help them be successful in the role you hired them for and let go and let them move and move fast. And so we have great talent here. Um, we've been hiring a lot, as you, as you know, and um, it's always about what does the organizational structure needs to be to ensure that everyone can run as fast as possible. And so that's been a continuous learning for me that the org chart that you have needs to be really well, well oiled um, for, the, for the company to run quickly. One question I have for a company that's scaling as quickly as yours is how do you translate strategy into execution? Like, do you have a methodology that you use across the business? Do you use, you know, 4DX, OKRs, KPIs? Uh, how, do, how do you go about that internally and how do you measure traction against strategic initiatives? Yeah, we, we do have an OKR framework in place. Every team has their specific uh, OKR targets. Um, we have KPIs uh, across sales and marketing. We have a yearly business plan and quarterly budgets for that. And we have various meetings around discussing those budgets, those OKRs. You know, only that way we can really track how accurate we are and um, how we forecasted the business. And it's always, you know, wrong, right? Like there's always something that is not right. And you have to improve on a monthly basis what you got wrong and what you got right you sort of improve that but yeah you you know you you set these targets out based on historical performance and say okay can we do more if we want to achieve something in a new sector what else do we need to do to to get into that sector but it's it's all about setting up a framework that people understand what the targets are who owns those targets what's expected of people and have regular communication exchange on those targets to understand, you know, if it was too much or too little and treat them as you go and then have very well-defined yearly budgets that everybody can just get on with their day-to-day job and know how many people they can hire, know what you know, spend they have and budgets and how many clients we need to get. And then you fine tune uh, on a weekly, monthly basis. Thank you very much, Jim. We're now going to move on to the next part of our conversation, which is to focus on tech specifically. Okay, so I'm really interested to understand where Plentific sees opportunity in the market right now in terms of corporate development and what are the technologies that will underpin those opportunities. So where are you looking to double down on as a business and what technologies are you looking to develop or even acquire to fuel or enable that growth? Yeah, if you look at our business, it's, um, <clears throat> you know, it's had a lot of data underlying operations. We have we support a lot of different teams. Asset management is a big one, uh, looking at an asset across its entire life cycle. So for us, IoT plays a big role in the future. There's a lot of noise in IoT and a lot of different use cases, but for us, it's important to know the digital twin of a of a unit to be on to be able to drive the different uh, decisions uh, in a more automated fashion. So we are discussing 
how we would implement IoT into the platform and then ensure that we track, monitor and get works done, for example, or flag that a fire door is open and needs to be closed, those kind of things. Another area for us, which we started is machine learning. Um, so we're starting to generate a lot of data across all of our clients, across all the units and being able to help our clients to run better operations uh, by looking at the data more proactively than, uh, you know, running numbers themselves um, is a big part for us, enabling them to say, okay, if you do this and that, you're going to get another 0.4% yield or your tenant experience will go up because that's what we see through the data coming through. Tenant experience is a big topic. You know, we've been quite light on tenant experience so far. We plug into other tenant uh, solutions with, with our resident uh, manager. I think there's a lot of opportunity with that end-to-end experience going forward. And on the contractor side, we are seeing a lot of automation happening around the field management module where you help operatives to run smoother uh, teams on, on the grounds by helping them go into the right jobs, by helping them getting getting the right quotes and forecasting those and helping those guys. That's sort of very imminent to what we are doing. I know there's a lot of things happening in the metaverse. Uh, there's a lot of trends that are quite exciting in, in prop tech real estate that are not as relevant for us, but uh, those, those are the more imminent ones that, that we are looking at. You're obviously building out a very broad and integrated platform. So you've clearly got a comprehensive product strategy there. Answer me this question. By the year 2030, Plentific will be what? Finish the sentence. We'll be the biggest global operating platform that uh, landlords and contractors will use. Interesting. And I guess next question is, who do you see as your competitors? I mean, are you competing with the kind of the facilities management, property management tools that institutional real estate already uses? So, for example, the real pages, the Yardies, the MRIs, the Entratas of this world. How do you see the competitive landscape for your product? Yeah, we are in a slightly different market segment. We don't have a direct competitor to go after uh, because we're basically building a new uh, category-defining business where we go to clients and say, we'll help you with your SaaS side of things, but also bring you supply chain solutions and the contractors, fully vetted, managed. And that combination doesn't really exist in, in that way because you're now saying, I'm building tech, but I'm also understanding real estate operations. We have integrated with you know, some of the names you mentioned. Uh, so they're integration partners of ours. And we have a lot of legacy software solutions that are competitors. So something that was maybe built 20 years ago and does asbestos, for example, for, for the use case of a client. That would be competitive. And we would look at that as a sort of replacement. On the contractor side, there's a lot of sort of field management solutions that people use against software. And so, yeah, a lot of legacy solutions, a lot of like point solutions that we would compete against. But if you look at what we're trying to achieve, there's nothing that we're looking at directly as a competitor. There's adjacent sort of competition, but we're sort of building our, our own thing. Sure, I guess because your solution uh, includes this you know, integrated marketplace, that must add a completely different layer of, of complexity when it comes to scaling your global operation, which I totally appreciate. Let's talk a little bit about M&A. You made your first acquisition, I think, last year. Is that right? Two years ago, I think it was. Two years ago. Sorry, forgive me. Do you have a, an active M&A strategy then? Or are you just approaching opportunities opportunistically? What's the approach? What's the strategy there? We do have an M&A playbook. And we also have an in-house M&A person. And we're continuously fine-tuning and updating what the real estate universe looks like, what prop tech companies do, where they positioned. You know, we call it the puzzle piece where... 
what part of the puzzle are they in? And, and then we have a sort of main category of interests um, where we sort of proactively try to find opportunities. We have things that we wouldn't look at at the bottom because they're too far away from what we do. And then there's stuff in the middle where we might opportunistically uh, look at uh, if there's an overlap with clients or contractors, for example. And then you know, most of the stuff is opportunistic because something is in a sales process or coming to market that we then also find out about and approach it that way. Very interesting. I'm going to ask you now, Jem, to put your entrepreneur's hat on. <laughs> a lot of our listeners are budding entrepreneurs looking to launch or build disruptive businesses in this space, so be it residential or commercial real estate. Based upon your first-hand experience of the industry, have you come across any obvious challenges, you know, opportunities, let's say, for entrepreneurs to come in and create a meaningful, high-value solution that solves a real-world problem? right, that you validated personally. I'm sure our listeners would really value your, your market insight. Real estate is quite difficult to scale. So if, you know, if you're looking at launching something in the UK, can that also work in other countries? And if you want to build a very large business, the answer needs to be yes, because otherwise it might be too small. Um, so think big, think sort of, could it be a, a global solution instead of a country solution, a sector solution? There's a lot of PropTech ideas that are great, but the market segments are just too small. If you look at some of the bigger clients, I mean, the feedback to us is always, there's too much PropTech, right? Our clients sometimes struggle to make the time to speak to everyone. But if it's a big enough value creating topic and idea that will solve real pain points, big pain points, then you get the ear of a client. The other point is probably around what, what's the driving factor for you? And that's probably the same for any other sector, but I think especially in real estate, you have to have deeper operational experiences on what you're trying to solve because it does get quite technical around prs works very differently to social housing works very differently in you know different segments and if you don't understand your operating challenges it might be more difficult to break through really interesting and i guess you know within those various categories that you've mentioned are there any specific buckets that are just obvious problems that need solving that are kind of continually called out for by your clients for example, you've already mentioned IoT being a major topic or indeed ESG. What are the big categories that entrepreneurs should focus on, the big trends? Everything to do with climate change. It's a big topic. You know, everybody likes to talk about it. There's big trends around it, but real estate is the biggest, I think, driver for climate pollution, right? So there, there needs to be a lot of applications that would make sense to help in, in, this, uh, in this drive. So I think that's probably an area, if I would start again now, I would look, look into. and. You know, it's an area that everyone is interested in, an area that attracts a lot of capital now. And it's not an easy area, don't get me wrong, right? It's, uh, it's difficult to, to scale something there, I think, but I would, I would look at that. And then the other one everybody talks about is metaverse, right? Like, what do you do there? Ah, uh, yes, the good old metaverse. Well, I can tell you that my metaverse strategy is fairly basic. It involves waiting for somebody really, really intelligent to work it out then take the time to explain to the rest of us and then and only then can I get really, really excited about it and formulate uh, phase two of my strategy, which will be my actual strategy. But listen, Jem, you've been super generous with your time. It's uh, time to wrap up now. Um, I'm going to finish with you know, the three quick fire questions that I ask each one of my guests. The first one is what is the best piece of advice that's been given to you in your career that you always carry with you wherever you go? Yeah, there's been many over the years. I think number one, hire very smart people. Number two, it's a marathon. You're going to have ups and downs and you have to just get through it. And number three, 
pivot as many times as you need, even if it's difficult. Three great pieces of advice. Thank you very much for that. Question two, if you had to choose an alternative career to being founder and CEO of Plentific, what would that be? I like to be a property developer. I enjoyed that a lot. It's in a way similar to building tech. You, you, know, you spend time on a project, you see it before and after, and you know, hopefully you've gone through a transformation change and worked through lots of struggles, challenges, and at the end, there's a great product and people like it. So I would probably continue doing that and look at how property development could, could include you know, more greener use cases and then real estate. And that would be probably quite a fulfilling uh, career at a, at a global scale. Awesome. You're a real estate guy through and through. That's great to hear. Last question. If you were able to invite anyone onto this show, and it can be anyone, it doesn't have to be from the industry, it can be somebody who you aspire to, who you find um, inspirational. If you could invite them onto this show to hear their story, who would it be and why? Target Global has a portfolio company called Fox, and uh, Julian Taika is the CEO and founder there and he's done phenomenally well. I think it would be quite an inspirational speaker. Interesting. What does WeFox do? It's an insurance tech player. And um, they basically you know, have set out to digitalize the insurance world, uh, supporting brokers and have scaled significantly and you know, showing how technology can really change an old school, old mentality sector like insurance. And so it's got resemblance to prop tech and real estate, I think. And uh, you know, he has done phenomenally well, raised a lot of money, has a big team now and, you know, executed well. Yeah. Well, I'll certainly do my very best to get Julian Tyker from WeFox onto the show and share his successes with our audience. Thank you very much for that recommendation. Jim, that brings us to the end of the episode. All that remains is for me to thank you for the time and insights you shared with us. I wish you and the team all the very, very best as you plough your way through that $100 million. You're clearly building something very, very special and the journey in front of you has got to be exciting. Jem Savas, CEO and co-founder of Plentific, thank you so much for sharing with us your 2020 vision. Thank you so much. Real Estate 2020 Vision was brought to you by Lavanda, the world's leading flexible rental software. Find out more at www.getlavanda.com. 